Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our youth pastor, Joshua Shively. I wanted to welcome you to Calvary. You've got the youth pastor preaching today. Uh, Pastor Nate wants me to let you know that he was sick last week, but he is feeling absolutely fine. He's in New Jersey this week teaching a group of churches out on the East Coast, and he'll be back next week to finish the book of Jonah with you. Uh, But actually this week, uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 5, so if you want to turn there. Uh, And then also just any of you families that have kids in here, uh, if they make noise, don't even worry about it. I'm a youth pastor. I can preach through anything, Uh, literally, I think anything. So so uh, just have them enjoy it. Hopefully, hopefully they won't get too bored of my voice through these next 30 minutes or so. But yeah, as you turn to Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, uh, I'm the youth pastor. I'm going to let you know I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary. I've been here about five years now. Really blessed to be a part of this church and be a part of the youth ministry and getting to build it. We call it JFY, Jesus Famous Youth. Uh, yeah, we're branding it. Uh, Jamie Harper up here has got the shirt on. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it really is the heart, and really the heart behind it is, is kingdom-mindedness, kingdom life, um, and kingdom heart. And just the idea is to build a, a generation or a group of young people that, that desire to know Jesus more, to be more about his kingdom each and every day. Youth ministry is the long haul, right? It's not, it's not the short game. It's all about that sanctification process, moment by moment, day by day, event by event with, with the middle schoolers and high schoolers of our church. And really blessed to get to be a part of that. My wife and I have actually been doing youth ministry for about 17 years now. We started when we were dating. I was, wasn't quite 20 yet when we started serving. And the Lord has just been really faithful through all those years of serving and being a part of, of his kingdom in that way. I really believe that the Lord has made me to be a youth pastor. I don't know how I can describe that other than everything else I do is just a little bit crooked. Like I try to do carpentry and I just would ask you not to look too closely at it. I try to like do body work on a car and it just doesn't turn out right. My mechanic work usually works pretty well uh, after a bunch of YouTube channels, but hey, that works really well because youth ministry is kind of organized chaos. It's, it's organizing to have, you know, crooked things and just to be ready for the unexpected. Um, one of my leaders, 10 commandments I have, I give them when they first sign on is, is be prepared for anything at any time. <laughs> and luckily they know that I've either done that thing I'm asking them to do, or I would do it with them. But it's youth ministry. It's a lot of fun. Um, just absolutely, absolutely blessed that I get to do it. And then when Nate asked me to teach on the main pulpit, I'm always very humbled that uh, I get to do that. You know, our pastor, Nate, I don't think I've ever worked for a pastor that put so much time and heart and devotion into teaching the Word of God. And so to be asked to, to teach at his pulpit is always just a very humbling experience, and, uh, and I'm blessed to do it. So, so yeah, so thanks for being here this morning. I'm really blessed I get to teach you and uh, to walk through Romans 5 with you. Now, this is a meaty text. It's a, it's a meaty scripture. There are volumes of books written on Romans chapter 5. Uh, but for the next 30 minutes, we're going to just dissect really what Paul's heart is for this, these 11 verses, ultimately coming down to the consequences or the, the blessings, as it were, of what does it mean to be justified by faith. And so really the title of my message today would be, Being Justified Through Faith in Jesus Brings Rest, Resilience, Righteousness, and Reconciliation. Again, this justification through Jesus, if we have faith in it, I believe the outcome of that for a maturing Christian is the understanding of rest, 
resilience, righteousness, and reconciliation. Pastor Manny really liked all the R's there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, just with that, as I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you, let's read through the text together. And so I'm going to ask you to stand like I asked the other two congregations, just so we can kind of have a reverence as we read through this text and this, this theology that Paul writes to the, the church in Romans. So follow along with me. Verse 1 of chapter 5 starts out, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse six, we see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we, ha- if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And Father, we come before you this morning as we just lift up your word. We pray and we ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Pray that after worship, after singing praise to you, we would be conditioned. We would be in the right place for what your word has for us. That we would leave here not just feeling better, but we would be convicted. We would be we would be in a place of desiring uh, to be closer to you, to have a more Christ-likeness more than ourselves. Father, thank you for the words that you spoke through Paul. Thank you that it's applicable to us today. We give you praise. We give you honor. Speak vast beyond my words and my, my inadequacies as a teacher. So we praise you. We worship you for this time. In your name, amen. Okay, so we read there this, this heavy text. I mean, this is, in essence, the end goal. Right? This is the end goal of what it means to be a Christian. Of course, we want to be a better community. We want to love like Jesus. We want to speak truth like Jesus. Jesus. We want to be light and salt in this world. Those are all, all practical parts of our sanctification. But when we read what Paul is talking about here in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 of Romans, he's calling us to the end result of understanding that we are righteous, that we are reconciled, that we have been justified by Jesus. This is the end result of what, it, of, of what we gain as Christians. Yes, we gain salvation. Yes, we gain a life to the full as Jesus gives us. We, we gain many things as we follow after Christ. But ultimately, the, the end result is that we have been made righteous. We have been given reconciliation between man and God, between creation and creator. This is a beautiful thing. This is like the mountaintop, right? This is the peak. In essence, there is nothing greater that you can gain from Jesus' works. There's nothing greater that you can, you can obtain than to be righteous before God. And I hope that today you gain that, that not just from a head knowledge, as if you were to read some, some theology or some, some commentary on the reconciliation we receive from Christ, but that you would gain a more applicable knowledge, a true wisdom that applies to your life, that when you read a text like this, you take it in and say, how can I then live like a justified Christian? How then can I live like a human being that has been made righteous before God? And now this being the mountaintop of, of, 
of Christianity, as it were, the, the mountaintop of theology, I want to give you a story, a personal story, that in my 37 years of being alive is one of the greatest things I've accomplished, one of the greatest, things, one of the greatest memories that I have as an adult man uh, and dad and husband. But even in that, it doesn't compare to what we receive from Christ. So back in June 2017, I took my family on a backpacking trip in Yosemite, the backside of Yosemite coming in from the Wawona side. And we've been on many backpacking trips. My kids, have, they know backpacking. I've hiked them until they've cried. And then I hiked them a little bit further next time. <laughs> and so they are conditioned. They know how to backpack. They know how to be out there. And we decided to do a 36, 38-mile loop that comes in through Mono Meadows and hikes up to Buena Vista Peak and then back around. And it was going to take us about four days. And so this being five years ago, my daughter Ellie there, who's almost 15, wasn't quite 10. And my son Seth wasn't quite nine. And so we hiked in the first day, camped at Illouette Creek. Great night. We had a bear visit us the next morning. It was, it was, it was fine. He was a backcountry bear. He didn't care about us. But, you know, it was a fun experience. And then we started hiking up to our next point, which would be a summit be- below uh, Buena Vista Peak. And we realized very quickly that the, the altitude gain and the elevation gain was much more than we had thought it would be. The trail wasn't very worn. It's not a very busy trail. And so we had lost the trail multiple times and had to keep finding it. Um, it came to one point where my son threw off his backpack and yelled at me that I was a liar because I just kept saying, it's just around the corner, buddy. It's just around the corner. And so we just came to the point where my wife and I realized we were being a bit tenacious. And so we decided to hike back to this, this creek that we had found, that, this nice little uh, river that had a waterfall, and, and camp there for two nights and then hike back out the way we came just so they could enjoy it, so they could find rest and just some peace amidst the, the wilderness where we wanted them to enjoy. So that night while I was looking at the map, um, I actually have this special map that I bought when the kids started backpacking with us. Uh, it's a waterproof map. My hope is that from all the years of highlighting and making notes that we can one day frame it or I can pass it along to my children and they can take that out there with their kids. And, and, uh, and so I'm looking and I see that behind us is actually a ridgeline that we had actually hiked around the base of it. And the ridgeline actually got up to about 9,000 feet. And as I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, it's right behind us and it's a pretty gradual hike. And, and I know if my kids don't have their backpacks on, they're willing to hike a whole lot further. And And so I bargained with them saying, hey, guys, I'll take all the food. I'll take all the water on my back. You guys want to hike up to this peak, this 9,000-foot peak, and see the edge of this cliff. And so they they agreed. And the next morning after breakfast, we started hiking. And we got up through the slough and the trees and got to the shale and then up to the granite, found this kind of glacier block up there that we had to kind of maneuver around that probably stays frozen all year. Get to the edge of this cliff, and we're, we're, we're at this 9,000-foot peak where we just get to look down. The view is gorgeous. We got to see down the valley just slightly to see El Capitan. And, of course, you can see Half Dome from there and the Tricentennial Domes. And it's just this gorgeous spot where we got to eat lunch together. So I pull out the map, and I show the kids exactly where we're at. And I showed them. I said, hey, John Muir missed this one, guys. This ridge is not named. There's no name on top of this ridge. And so on our map, our family map, it now says Shively Ridge with a little red heart on there, you know, and the, the date that we, we summited it. And so I say all this because in my experience, my humanistic experience as a, as a dad, as a man, it doesn't get much better than that. I feel like I fathered well through that. I feel like I husbanded and partnered with my wife well as we raised our kids. I taught my children how to enjoy a peace and rest within God's nature, which in, which is within their creation. I taught them resilience as we hiked up that mountain. Um, I even taught them, hey, this, this hike is too much. Let's stop for a couple of nights and enjoy. Uh, I got to teach them all kinds of things through this. But see, the fact is, even through that experience and everything that I could achieve within my power as a man and as a husband, as a dad, doesn't reach doesn't even come close to what we receive from Jesus. 
as we, we start to understand what it means to be justified by our faith. It doesn't even come close to what we receive in this righteousness, this reconciliation. I mean, just compare it. It's the fact is, I found this earthly joy, but that joy goes away as soon as I'm off the peak. I found this rest and this peace, but it goes away as soon as I get back to my car and my cell phone gets service again. Even though I hit this high place, this mountaintop, and this, this, you could say, well, you're closer to God there. No, actually, I'm not. And even though I'm at the top of that mountain, I'm still there. I'm still broken. I'm still a sinner. And without Jesus, I'm still destined for hell. So the idea here is that no matter what I gained in this, I was still wanting. I was still in need of something. I was still, I was still wanting and needing of something. And yet when we look at these 11 verses, what I want you to glean from today is you will walk away from understanding justification by faith, understanding a deeper place of righteousness and reconciliation, and you will not be wanting. Ultimately, kind of giving you the, the end result is that Jesus paid for it. Jesus died for it. He, he gave it. He bought it so that he could freely give it to you. And now you're covered with it. See, the thing is, Paul here, his heart for the Romans was to urge them to build a foundational truth, a foundational understanding of who they are and who Jesus is to them. And my hope for you this morning is that you would also build this foundational truth with this theology and this understanding of justification by faith. The theology that Paul gives us in these 11 verses, it should ground us in a deeper faith, trust, and love for Jesus' calling on our life. Ultimately, when we come to a greater understanding of what Paul's talking about here, we come to a greater calling on our life. We trust Jesus more, we love Jesus more, and we want to follow him that much more. So diving into the text, there in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith. Now, Paul introduced this justification by faith in actually chapter 4, verse 24, when he says that Jesus took on, right? He bore our trespasses, and through that bearing, we become justified. In essence, we were to receive like the wrath of our, just, or the wrath of our sin nature. But then Jesus took that, and from that, we're justified. But not just that Jesus acted in this way, because that's the character of God. He gave of himself for our sin, but now it's the act of having faith in what Jesus did. Paul continues the thought of justification, not just that Jesus bore our sins, but because we have faith that he bore our sins. Because we choose to believe, because we choose to look at God's character and see that this is true, that this is real, and what God says happened. And we believe it. that's not just some historical account of a man dying on the cross, but it's God coming to earth and dying for the sins of humanity being the ultimate sacrifice. And when we have faith in that, we build this justification. We understand this justification. And see, this is the foundation. I really believe as Paul goes through this theology in verses 1 through 11, if you haven't came to the place of having faith in what Jesus has done, the rest of this won't make sense. The rest of what Paul talks about here, it'll be really hard for you to really conceive and take in and own and live out what Paul is calling us to here, and ultimately what Jesus is calling us to here, if you can't come to the place of having faith that he died for your sins. Having faith that he bore your brokenness. Having faith that you were depraved and you were broken and a sinner by birth and yet Jesus bore that for you so that you could be right and have a relationship with God. If we cannot come to that conclusion, you cannot come to that conclusion in your heart, the rest of this is hard to comprehend. Now, as Paul goes through this, he's going to depict, in a sense, what we receive through that justification. And really, from verses 1 and 2, my first point is that we receive rest. 
I really believe the first thing as we look at verses 1 and 2, if, if we start to own and gain this justification by faith, we then receive rest or peace or respite. Now, rest is something that I think all of us desire. I think many of us work hard and we put, we put a lot of time and energy into all kinds of things, put effort out there to where we really yearn for rest. Maybe even you dream of rest. I don't know if you've ever had a dream where you dream about wanting more rest. You know, you wake up the next morning like, that was not helpful. So many of us desire rest. We desire to slow down. We desire that respite. Or maybe you're on the other side of that coin where you're in a place in life that you're not motivated and you're receiving way too much rest, and you're spending too much time, and you're not, you're not devoted to something. You don't have any type of motivation, and so in essence, you're getting all kinds of rest, but even in that, you're finding yourself that much more restless, that much more bored, that much more unsatisfied. Ultimately, wherever we find ourselves on that scale, whether desiring rest or a place of too much rest where we're just strictly unsatisfied with life, the fact is that we are in a place where we have to then ask the question, wherever you're at on that scale, well, then where am I getting my rest from? Where am I, where am I pursuing rest and respite and peace? In essence, we have to ask the question, am I, where am I find, what kind of place, what kind of purpose, and what kind of person am I finding my rest in? I believe it's, if it's anywhere other than Jesus, if it's anywhere other than what Paul is calling us to here, we continue to say have a dissatisfaction with life. Nothing will fill that void. Nothing will fill that place of peace and rest. Now, what are some of the places that we try to find rest, try to find peace from in this life, try to find a lasting uh, satisfaction? I believe some of us, probably many of us, look to entertainment, movies, TV, but the fact is that show always ends, the movie always ends, and the credits always roll. It never really lives up to the hype, right? I know you've ever had the experience where you're going to see a movie and a friend says, someone you know, someone you trust says, hey, go see this movie. Right? It's like number five in my book right now. And then you go see it and you walk out and you look at your spouse. You're like, I thought I knew that person, <laughs> but I don't know if I trust them anymore because I did not like that movie and I don't know why they liked it. Maybe it's food. Maybe you try to fill that void. You try to, try to gain peace and satisfaction with food, but it always digests and you always end up hungry again. Many people go to addiction, to sex, to porn, to substance, or other earthly pleasures to give moments of bliss, moments of peace, but the end is just another pursuit of the fix. We can't find satisfaction or peace in our jobs because we have more bad days than good days. Our marriages are hard work. Raising kids are harder still. And really, at the end of a lot of those days, you end up think, like, thinking to yourself, do I have what it takes? Can I do this again? See, when we attempt to find our rest or peace in these or anything like them, we understand the truth repeatedly that only Jesus brings rest. So how do we find peace? Then the question would be logically, okay, then how do I find peace, Josh? How do I receive this rest? And I believe Paul breaks it down in verses 1, one through 2 for us in chapter 5, where he says, first off, again, we have been justified through faith in him. See, just the fact, and again, this foundational truth that we have been made right, that we can stand before the Father made right, that you and I, as, as finite beings, can stand before an infinite and all-powerful God and be made right before him. He is perfection. There is no sin. There is no brokenness before him. But because what Jesus did, ultimately, the first act of salvation, when you first accept Jesus, you should have infinite rest because you now know and understand that I can stand before God. Your first act of salvation, like when you first receive Jesus, should be the understanding that, that I can now have a relationship with God. 
This should bring us such rest and such peace that we as humans, the creation, can have relationship with the creator, with God. Secondly, we have access to God through Jesus. This should also bring us peace that at any point, in any circumstance, whatever you're going through in life, you can have access to God. You can pray at any moment and any time, whether it's a longer time of silence and solitude and you're in your prayer closet and you're really just going before the Spirit and going before the Lord and you're just crying out for some situation or circumstance in your life or whether it's those quick moments just like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, the fact is you have access to God because of what Jesus did. Next, we find we actually stand in a place of grace. With God, We actually stand in a place of grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I need grace to be a dad. I need grace to be a husband. I need grace to be a pastor. And I need just grace to be a decent human being from time to time. And yet, even more than those earthly, physical things, I need grace to stand before the Father when I have a really bad day, when I do not act like Christ, when my, my, when my actions do not emulate Christ's likeness. I need grace to stand before the Father, and yet we know and we have peace that we can stand before the Father because he has grace upon us. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 30, or 22 actually says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the peace, the rest that we know that, man, if I have a really, really bad day, the next morning I can wake up and the Lord looks upon me and has grace for me. He knows the condition of my heart. He knows where I'm at. He knows my motives. He knows exactly what I'm, I'm attempting to do each and every day. And he has grace for us in that. Lastly, we can actually boast. We can boast of God's glory. At the end of verse 2 there, he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, this ultimately should bring us a sense of peace. When you come to church and we sing praises to God, just like Riley and Kylie stood up here earlier and, and led us in worship, when we sing those songs, it's not just, they're not just words to a melody, but what we're doing is praising the God of the universe. And the fact is, you and I, as humans, can come confidently before the throne. In whatever condition you're in, wherever you're at, it's not a matter of how you feel that day. It's a matter of you honoring God for who he is. And because what Christ did, you and I can go before the throne and praise God for who he is. Psalms 148 actually says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. See, we can confidently have peace that we are worshiping the God of the universe. That amidst all the other religions, all the other cults, all the other beliefs in this world that, that fly around and, and are fleeting, our God is unchanging. And we can stand confidently knowing that we are praising. When we praise the God of the Bible, when we praise the God of heaven and earth, he is the one true God. And, and through him, through him is the only way to salvation. And he is worthy of our praise because of that. So ultimately, verses 1 and 2, as Paul starts out this theology, he wants us to understand when you're saved, you are justified before the Lord. And in that, you should have rest. You should have peace. There should be respite in just who we are and our stance before Jesus, before the Lord. Jesus actually says this in John 16 where he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace and the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I think Paul is a very, very human theologian. <laughs> he was in the dirt. He was in the mire. He didn't spend time behind, behind a desk 
Paul was, was, was out there preaching the gospel. He was traveling. He was with people. So I think as he preaches a, a, a theology so rich as, as understanding that you are justified before the Lord, that understanding that you are saved and, and what Jesus will receive when we accept that salvation, he also understands that life is really difficult. He understands that life is really hard, that life can be complex, life can even be unfair. So in that, I believe Paul then gives us Romans 5, 3, and 5, where he then describes to us as you walk through this idea, this sanctification process of of understanding this this thing of salvation, this thing of justification, also know that life is going to be difficult, but through those circumstances, God has something for you. No matter how difficult they are, he says in verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I believe as we grow, as we mature, as we we gain more of an understanding of this theology in our faith and in our Christian walk, that that rest goes to a resilience. I believe it goes to resilience. I just love the word resilience. It just, it just rolls off the tongue. And even the definition makes it that much more sweet. If you were just to Google it, the definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. Like that, is just, that is just neat. Uh, I, I, I want to get that on a tattoo somehow. But like the thing is, guys, like resilience is just something that we, like we should strive for. Just on an earthly scale, just on like a humanistic scale, if someone gives a definition of you, Someone give a definition of Josh Shively. I hope resilience is in there. Like, I hope just the definition, the idea of resilience helps define who I am. It helps define the type of father I am, that I'm not willing to give up my kids, the type of husband I am, the type of man that I am when I work with you or, 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 or have a deal with you, that I am resilient through those things. But even more so than in a humanistic mindset, on a spiritual level, I hope I am resilient for the Lord. I hope that I'm resilient when, when the enemy comes and pushes against me and tempts me, that I can say no, that I can, I can run from those things, I can withstand him so that he'll flee from me, as James says, that I can stand firm in what Jesus calls me to stand for, that I can be courageous for what God wants me to be courageous for. I can love for, who, for the things God loves. I can speak truth for God's truth. That resilience is a part of my maturity, a part of my growth in who I am as a man after God's heart. I would hope that this would define my ministry. I would hope that this, this would define our church, that our church is a resilient church spiritually. Because difficulties will come, won't they? Life is hard. But as we stand in resilience, we see that we recover quickly from those things. I mean, I believe like every time we stand, we, we recover quickly, we actually gain more of a toughness in that way. Now, on a human level, I believe every one of us have a different level of resilience. Uh, I believe every one of us from where we're at in maturity, what we've gone through in our life, the type of wounds we've received, the type of upbringing we had, and then the type of healing or pursuit of healing that we've gone through, we all have different levels of resilience. And I believe those resiliences are tested every single day, aren't they? I mean, every day our strength is tested by life, situation, and unexpected circumstances. Expectation of others and others' opinions actually push against our stability all the time. Our recovery time from the last circumstance is never long enough for the new circumstance coming. And ultimately, our mental, physical, and spiritual toughness are constantly stretched and flexed to meet the demanding nature of our lives. See, Paul understood this, that, that these things were, were just part of life. And ultimately, choosing to pursue Christ probably even complicates it more. 
probably makes it that much more of, of something in your foresight to actually pursue resilience, to pursue a life where we don't just go with the flow, but actually push against it. James puts it this way in James 1, 2, and 3. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So where Paul actually says, like, uh, uh, find glory in your suffering, James says it like this. He says, count it joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. And James, various kinds of trial, he means like the big things, like a loss, all the way to a flat tire on the way to school. The thing is that, that, that whatever we encounter in this life, we have a choice in those moments to either act in a, in a worldly way or a fleshly way or in a Christ-likeness that actually shows it through a biblical lens. Actually seeing that hardship in essence as a way for God to mature us, for God to, to move in us, for God to give us opportunities to be more like Jesus each and every day. Ultimately, uh, within our faith, we should all strive for a sounder, more robust resilience in our daily lives. This should be something that we strive for in our Christian walk. This should be something that daily, how, how can I grow? How can I become more resilient for you, Jesus? How can I build this up? Just like an athlete builds up strength for their specific type of sport. As Christians, we look at Christianity. We look at our example and our impact on this world as almost our purpose. So how can I build that strength to be more of an impact within that place? As I said in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives us this kind of breakdown of suffering, perseverance. That perseverance actually shapes in us character. And this is not just a, a character of, a, of an earthly kind, like that person's really honest, that person's really trustworthy, which should be characteristics of Christians, but it's a character that is shaped to be more like Jesus, not like us. It's a character that's shaped to, to be an example to the world to where when people look at us, not just our church, at Calvary Monterey or my youth ministry, but as us, when they look at us, they see the character of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was the greatest example of God's character on, in physical form, when Jesus talked, it was God's character. When he moved, it was God's character. When he loved, it was God's character. And now the church, you and I, that's our calling. And so in essence, what we're doing is allowing perseverance, suffering to shape in us so that when the world looks at us, they see Jesus. They no longer see Josh Shively, but they see Jesus. And then ultimately, this actually brings us to hope. And Paul says that hope does not bring shame. So in essence, when we stand firm, when we hold fast, when we walk through those sufferings, those tribulations with perseverance, we allow God to mold in us the character that's more like Jesus, we actually come out the other end with hope. Not a hope that brings shame that we can be ashamed of, but a hope that we can have confidence in. A hope that we know no matter what happens in this life, no matter what's thrown at us, we will continue to trust. We will continue to overcome because that hope that's within us. This is a challenge to you and I because so many times when hard times come, when difficulties come as humans, we want to cower away. We want to shift to the other side of the road and not, not deal with the, the problem. We want to, to manipulate through it. This is, this is evidence of human nature in so many ways. But I believe every time that we do that, we actually stunt our spiritual growth. I believe when we do not confront the hard things in our life, when we don't allow the wounds from our childhood or the wounds of things that have happened to us outside of our control to be healed and to be confronted, to be, to be, to be actually like work through, then we actually stunt our spiritual growth. See, life is complicated. It's complex, and a lot of times it's unfair. 
But in those situations, we have a choice to either run from something or to confront it and allow that perseverance, that character, and that hope to work through us. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Josh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've worked through in my life. You don't know what has happened to me, the wounds that I've received through my childhood, through my young adult years, whether things I've done, someone has done to you or you've done to yourself. And you're right, I don't. But the fact is we serve a God that does. We serve a God that's intimate. We serve a God that's not some far off concept, but he's real, he's true, and he's working in every one of us. I believe no matter what you're going through that every moment of every day has a purpose. And I believe that every one of those purposes God loves and cherishes deeply. And every one of those moments, every one of those purposes is something that God wants to use in your and my life just to be more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, to speak more like him, to impact the world, to, to, to understand how much God loves them. And ultimately, the end result of this is that you're not alone. Whatever you're going through in this life, you are not alone. Paul finishes there in verse 5 by saying, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Every bit of God's love, who he, who he is in his character, the, the detail that he creates and that just shows his love is poured into your and my heart. And that spirit of God who is in the beginning with God, creating all reality, lives within you and I as the church and as Christians and is moving in us, is shaping us and is walking you through those difficulties, is walking you through those hardships of life. Is, is, is allowing you to take every moment as a growing and teachable moment so that he can teach you, the Spirit can teach you how to grow and how to mature and how to heal through those things. I love that Paul puts this in there, in, in this, as a, you have justification by faith, this, this very heavy theological topic, and then he'll end in verses 6 through 11 with righteousness and reconciliation. But right in the middle, he puts this very human, very, very human detail of, of hardships and trials, perseverance, character, suffering. God knows our hearts. He knows what we go through. And the question is, are you trusting him with that? As you start to continue to understand how, how, how precious you are to God, how, how justified you are in his sight, are you also allowing him to heal and work through you to make you more like Jesus each and every day? And then lastly, as we finish verses 6 through 11, it comes out to that, again, that peak, that crescendo of righteousness and reconciliation. Now, like I said at the beginning of this, there are books and volumes written about this. There are, there are just manuscripts talk, that talk about righteousness and reconciliation, the theology behind it, and what it truly means that you and I as infinite created beings, broken and sinful, have received Jesus' righteousness. And that we have been reconciled, that God's wrath, that, that sin deserves justice, that sin deserves wrath. And God, being fully righteous and fully holy, deserves to put down wrath on top of sin. And Jesus took that for us. There's books and volumes written on that. But my hope is that, that you don't just know that headwise, but that you've lived it. That your life is lived as a righteous Christian, as a reconciled Christian before Jesus. So my personal walk with Jesus started when I was 12 years old. I was just a white kid from Northern California. My mom was very spiritual, but not Christian. She was a proclaimed witch. 
and, and kind of Wiccan, and so I was raised around a whole lot of spirituality. We'd go to, to Indian um, you know, seances and things like that. I guess it was a seance, Indian ceremonies, and I had, I had uh, you know, Indian holy men pray over me and prophesy over me. Very spiritual, but not Christian, not pointed to Christ, not pointed to anything of God. And being raised in this, I was also raised around a lot of addiction and just a lot of chaos. I was a very angry young man. Uh, 12 years old, you would not want your 12-year-old hanging out with me during that time. Just a lot of, a lot of just, just bad stuff in my life. And yet I became a Christian because a friend invited me to a Christian concert. And I went to this, this concert in July of, the, of that year. And the preacher talked about how there's this Jesus, this God who loves you and cares for you and wants you. And whether you want to say that I ran to him because I desired that or, or, or he called my name and I couldn't help it and go, I just know that moment I was saved. I knew that I was saved from hell. I knew that I was saved and that God wanted me. I guess if there were three truths that I understood at that time is that I was wanted, I was purchased, and that I was made new. I don't know what else I knew at that time, but I knew I was wanted, I was purchased, and I was made new. And so by God's grace, I found this little youth group and, and my, I think my mom and my stepdad wanted me, you know, it was a good thing. So they let me go to this little youth group in, in this little town called Forest Hill up north. And, and it was in this old uh, sawmill office. And so it smelled of Folgers coffee and nicotine from all the loggers and all the years of, of men, you know, working in the sawmill there. And, and this old saint, George McCafferty, he's still, he's still alive today and still loving the Lord. And, and uh, I've actually gotten to have his grandkid at a couple of my camps over the last couple of years, which is pretty neat. But He's just an old Irishman, and he's taught on Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. And there's this kind of maj podge little youth group in this sawmill. And he taught about God's righteousness and, and reconciliation. And from salvation to this point, I started to understand more of what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to stand before God in this place. And then even more so, here I sit at almost 37 years old, preaching the gospel, doing his work for 17 years. And the fact is, like, I'm at a place where now I can look back and see where the understanding of this, the true application of this in my life has changed me to make me who I am today. And see, Christians, when we come to this point, when we can really define the gospel in our own lives, this is where the rubber meets the road. In essence, I started to understand that first and foremost, I was a sinner, (laughs) And from the world that I grew up in, you didn't have to like, convince me of that. Born in sin, born of sin, you did not have to convince me that I was broken and I was in need of someone to fix me. But from that, you start to learn, well, who's the fixer? Jesus is the fixer. He's the bridge. And you start to look at who Jesus is, that he was fully God, but yet fully man. This is the mystery of that, that God put on flesh, came to earth. That all the small sacrifices through the Old Testament could not atone fully. They atoned a little bit, but not fully. And then Jesus living a perfect and sinless life, fully the character of God. Ultimately becoming the righteous and full and blameless blameless sacrifice, putting himself on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, past, present, and future. All the sin, every drop of it. And in a place where he was never separated from the Father, always in communion with with God, his Father. For a moment, he was separated from him. God actually had to turn his back because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and I. And God turned his back. The world became dark. And Jesus took upon the wrath of God, which was the reconciliation. He took on that wrath that you and I and all humanity deserve to take on. On that cross, he died a physical death. His human part died. Physically died died. They took him off that cross. They put him in the grave. 
Three days later, he rose again, not only conquering now sin, taking on the wrath of God, beating sin on the cross, but then the consequence of sin, which is death, conquering death for you and I. Where no longer we have to worry about the, the, the stain of sin, but then the consequence of, of it, which is death. Jesus conquered that. He ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father, always bearing the scars of the cross as an advocate for you and I, for all eternity, standing there saying, no, they're mine. I paid for them. I purchased them. They are mine. You see, Christians, when we come to a place of being able to take that gospel and put it on our lives and wear it, we start to understand that when I go before God and he looks upon me, he no longer sees sin or stain or death. What he sees is Jesus because he sees it through a Jesus lens. I don't know how else to explain it. He sees us through this Jesus lens and he sees Jesus' righteousness covering over us. And because of all that, I can go before the Father. I can be reconciled. I can be righteous before him. I can have confidence that he does not look upon me with, with, with disdain and disgust, but I'm adopted and I'm beloved in his eyes. That's what righteousness before Father, that's what reconciliation means. And I hope and I pray that you've taken that into your life. You've put that on yourself, that you've owned it and you live by it. Ultimately, I hope today that you take some time to read through Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Take some time, meditate on it. It's a big, heavy scripture. And I know I didn't do it justice in this, this like 30, 35-minute message. So I hope and pray that you would apply it, that you would read it to yourself, read it to your children, that, that there would be time where you would meditate over this so that you can truly live by what Paul is calling us to live by here. I hope that you find proper rest and peace in God's works and purposes for your life. I pray that you allow all circumstances, all of life circumstances to be moments of growth and the building of resilience in your faith. And lastly, I, find, I hope that you find extreme joy and adoration in Jesus, for in him we are made righteous and have been reconciled to our heavenly Father. And church, as I finish Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this time. We give you praise and glory for what you're doing in us and through us. Spirit, I pray that you would. You would work just mighty through the hearts and minds of, of your church today. Whether it's at this church or the churches down the street, Lord, whatever church is praising and worshiping your name, I pray that there would just be a mighty movement today. Spirit, we praise you that you are working despite how we feel, despite our, our actions. Lord, you're, you're moving and you're shaping us. Draw us deeper, Lord. Help us to love you. Help us to pursue you. Give us strength today. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.